Okay, welcome everybody to the Investing with IBD podcast sponsored by Vantage Point. It's Justin Nielsen here and it is June 15th, 2022. And as always, I'm happy to welcome our weekly guest. It is Arusha Pires, O'Neill Global Advisors Portfolio Manager. How are you doing this week, Arusha? I'm, I'm doing well, Justin. Hang in there in this crazy volatile market. <laughs> right, exactly. And uh, we also are welcoming back to the show. This is someone that Arusha talked to back when he was on the helm of the ship. Uh, this is Vern Bice from Lord Abbott. Lord Abbott is one of our favorite uh, mutual funds to watch. Uh, very canslim. Uh, oriented approach. So it's great to have Vern back on the show. He's a portfolio manager over there at Lord Abbott. So welcome back, Vern. Thanks, Justin. It's good to see you, Arusha. Yep. Okay. So um, as as usual, what we do is we usually start with kind of a market overview, and then we're going to get a little bit into the whole concept of what is old is kind of becoming new. And we'll let Vern talk a little bit more about that. And then we'll go over a few sectors and things that look interesting in the current market environment. It's definitely slim pickings out there, but maybe we'll see what is potentially setting up for the eventual turn in the market. So why don't we go ahead and start out with the market itself. Uh, NASDAQ Composite, we can take a look at that. Uh, big big gain today. Uh, I mean, at one point we were over 3%. Of course, this is after the Fed announced a 75 basis point hike into the Fed funds rate. This is something that was definitely priced in. A lot of people were expecting this. Um, but here we are. We just recently this week hit new lows, uh, you know, well well below 11,000 on the NASDAQ composite. So what's your take? Is the bottom in, Vern? Well, Justin, it's uh, it's an interesting time to say the least. And I, uh, when I was speaking to Arusha and, and you earlier, I, uh, I mentioned it kind of reminds me of the period of 2000, 2002 a bit. And what's unique about that, and that might be kind of uh, a jarring statement or controversial a bit because the S&P is only off, say, 22% or so from the high in January. But if you look at some of the high growth companies, and that's where we're interested and mm -hmm. uh, in how we invest our, where, where we invest our money at Lord Abbott, um, many of those names are off 70 plus percent. And so we're, we're, I'm kind of comparing it to that period of time um, because growth stocks started correcting um, uh, in February of last year, 2021, whereas the S&P kind of started coming off of its high in January of this year. So, you know, the way I'm looking at it and um, how we kind of try to increase the odds of success, so to speak, is just using some analogs and looking at back in history of the markets and seeing what the past corrections look like. And if you, uh, there was a, a, a couple studies. One was, I, I believe, out of, um, from Oppenheimer. And he looked at uh, all past corrections since 1929 and the average correction um, outside of recession, which uh, we're, we're gonna assume for now, we're not in a recession, but we could be. But outside of recession, the average correction lasts around seven months and goes down roughly 21%. And I think from peak, to the recent trough, we went down a, a roughly 22, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, 22%, but it's only been, you know, maybe five and a half months. So in, in, in a sense, we're there in the sense of, you know, corrections are, have two components, I always say. One is price and the other is time. So in the terms of price, we're right around the average correction. 
but in terms of the time, we may need a little bit more time to work through uh, some of the, the correction. Uh, so that's kind of where we are right now. <clears throat> and so, Vern, so when, when you're looking at the time, are you, use, were, are you talking more about the S&P 500? Because the, as you mentioned earlier, the, the NASDAQ or a lot of the tech-related stocks, they did top that last, you know, last February in 2021. So it's, it's kind of strange because those stocks have been getting hit for so long now. But it's only the S and P five hundred type of stocks that are starting to roll over over the last five six months. Yeah, Rusha, that's a, an important point, and um, I think it's been such it's it's almost like a tale of two markets. And if you look at the the same same statistics that Oppenheimer put out, uh, with the recession, the market went down forty percent roughly and lasted nineteen months. I think those were the numbers. Wow. So if you if you look, think about what you just mentioned with the high growth stocks, you know, you can look at some proxies that are out there, some ETF proxies for high growth, and mm -hmm. we all know what those are. Uh, they're off 75% off their highs, and, mm -hmm. um, and it's been since February. So the question is, are certain areas of the market already pricing in the recession? And were the generals or <clears throat> the big cap stocks that dominated S&P 500 were they the last to fall? And so we're keeping that in mind right now. And that's a good possibility. You know, I mean, we might be closer to the end of this uh, market correction for high growth stocks. Uh, so we're just trying to stay, keep an open mind and look at our indicators for signs of bottoming. Um, we're definitely there in terms of market sentiment. It's very, very poor, as everyone knows. And, uh, you know, the put call ratio is starting to spike a little bit more. The VIX is stubbornly not going over that magical 40 uh, level that everyone wants to see. Um, so there, but there's plenty of indicators out there that have, has that kind of points to maybe we're in the seventh, eighth inning of this correction. But as, as you know, it's, uh, you know, markets, market bottoms are a process. They're not a point in time. And I think we got accustomed to seeing V shaped recoveries, uh, maybe because we had this idea that the fed um, was out there to save us, or the, the right, yeah. Fed put, you know, and that's that's changed. That regime has changed, and so how does that? How do we come out of this uh, correction, and what leads? And that's where it's going to get tricky. And but that's where the big opportunities are, because you know, um, just taking a step back, it reminds me of when you know we first started investing, or we experienced our first big market correction. Arusha, you and I have talked about this a lot over the years, and how we thought we were you know, geniuses in the late nineties and then all of a sudden, uh, you know, 2000 occurred and we, you lost everything and it's just, wow, what happened? I'm not as smart as I thought I was. And it's very easy to get discouraged during this time. You know, it's very easy to get discouraged. So, uh, you know, um, I would say that having gone through those now a few times though, what I didn't appreciate during the first time was how, much of an opportunity corrections are and how excited now I get strangely when I see a market correction because the biggest uh, the biggest um, the biggest rallies occur obviously after the biggest corrections and then I, I had this stat from Fundstrat the other day that I thought was fascinating and they looked back to 1949 which is about 73 years I think uh, my math is hopefully pretty Sounds good about right, I think so is that about right I yeah close years. enough Close enough close for the enough, podcast. Enough. So, <laughs> exactly. So uh, that, but they, they looked at the average bear market and the average bull market. 
And they said over the past 73 years, there have been uh, 13 uh, bear markets and they went down roughly 26 percent. Mm -hmm. uh, but over those past 70 odd years, there have been uh, 14 bull markets. And on average, they went up 136 percent and they lasted 50 months. And God, I wish I knew stats like that, looking back on things. I mean, you, you, we often forget that the markets are up about 70 percent of the time. Yeah. And right. the risk reward of those of a bear market versus a bull market is so much so highly skewed towards the positive side, you know, that 136 percent up on average versus the 26 percent down. Like, why wouldn't you be a fan of this game? You know, mm -hmm. so, you, you know, it's just it's it's important to keep these things in mind, I think, when you're going through this and really start to double down on your process, your education, especially reading IBD. That's how I got my start. Um, I still re read it religiously, as does our team. Um, so I, I would just encourage folks out there that are just getting started to not get discouraged and really put on your uh, your, your your go back to the education and read the books again. Um, study what you did wrong. Study what emotions you had when you made those m mistakes, and just you know stay positive. The better times are coming. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and very quickly, uh, I just wanted to give a little background. The way Vern and I met. Uh, was at the CMT event in 2019, I think it was. And we, we were both speaking at it and we both were kind of back to back. And mm. so, so I, I briefly spoke to Vern while he was uh, getting set up after I spoke. And he was a big fan of IBD. We both got started out, you know, just as uh, you know, working at other jobs and just learning about the stock market through IBD. And that's how we both really got into this. And, and actually when you meet people like that, we have a, a lot in common. So it, it's so cool to see, you know, Vern doing so well and being at, at Lord Abbott and them incorporating a, a, a right. bunch of kind of the philosophy and using both fundamentals and technicals, which is so rare in the industry. So, so who had to follow who? And did, did you? Well, Vern had to fo follow me. And, and so it was a very low bar I set. So <laughs> Perfect. Not okay. the <laughs> yeah. Did, did, uh, did you say, oh, forget everything Arusha said. Here's the way yes. it really works. No, uh, he was actually referring to some of the, a bunch of the stuff <laughs> I was saying. So it, it, it actually worked out pretty cool. Yeah. Arusha, did, you, did you steal his thunder? Did you get like all his best material and then use it first? Uh. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. No, I mean, I was, I consider myself very fortunate and lucky to have, I've had that timing. I mean, I can't, uh, I can't express how, how much, how grateful I am for moments like that in life. And they're important to hold on to and appreciate, you know, now look at us, we're, we're on this podcast and great friends. We talk about right. it's all the time. We have a lot in common, I have a lot of the same passion. So it was very, I was very fortunate to have met, uh, Arusha and, um, Absolutely. you know, I, I did, uh, I, I was able to ad lib a bit and, and, uh, throw some, of respect towards IBD, which I have huge respect for, and as you, you all know. And let me guess, uh, Arusha was smiling the whole time. That's <laughs> oh, yeah. Does. Yeah, okay, perfect. So, Vern, uh, just to get back a little bit on the, the averages that you mentioned, and I, I absolutely love stats and you know think that they're so useful for kind of setting a context for what's normal and, and, and whatnot. But let me just ask you, how do you use that? Once you start getting to your average levels, is that when you start, you know, you start saying, okay, this is, this is long enough. Um, I guess two questions. Number one, how do you know when that seventh inning, eighth inning is now the game is over versus going into extra innings like we have in some of these corrections? Um, and number two, when you're dealing with averages, I think, 
you know, sometimes people, I guess, make the mistake of not realizing that averages can have some pretty wide variation, right? You know, there's the old story of the, the person who couldn't swim trying to cross the river and saying, well, the average depth is three feet, so I'm fine, except it was, you know, at 1.8 feet, and then you're in trouble, right? So uh, what, what are your feelings on those two, two, two points? Yeah, I love that saying. The other, the other saying I always remember is um, the first day in statistics, the professor asked everyone uh, in the class, uh, if you think you're above average, raise your hand and the whole class raises their hand, right? So uh, yes, it's very important to watch out for averages and they can be very dangerous. But I do think it gives you some frame of reference to start looking at other indicators that um, you, you, know, you found to be tried and true. So I, I, what we do on our, our team um, is you know, we combine, as Arusha said, we combine fundamentals and technicals. So we start with the fundamentals. But we also look at some technical indicators such as number one is always IBD's market trend. What is IBD saying? What are, what are you, you guys saying? Um, are you in a confirmed uptrend? Are we in a market under pressure? Are we in a downtrend? So that's the first, first thing that I look at. <clears throat> and so right now, currently, we're in a downtrend. So we know that we're not quite there. Second thing I look for is market breadth. And a lot of people we measure market breadth in different ways, and each one is valid, I think. But the way we kind of look at it is the percentage of stocks over the 150-day moving average in the Russell 3000. And uh, some, some studies have been done. Uh, Oppenheimer comes to mind. Ari Wald, by the way, I have to give a shout out to Ari Wald at Oppenheimer. He's just fantastic. He does great work, as does a lot of people uh, on the sell side. But he, uh, he, looks at, he looked at the ranges of stocks over the 200-day moving average for the NYSE and he kind of looked at four returns once um, when stocks fell in those certain ranges. So, for instance, if uh, there are only 10% of the NYSE above the 200-day moving average, which is a very low amount, you know, that's saying we're in a, a severe downtrend. He actually found that the forward returns were very, very positive, extremely positive. So it's a contrarian type of indicator. And so I I, I put that on the list. And right now we're pushing those levels. We're it's you know where it's almost becoming a table pounding event where you, you only get this type of uh, this type of low market breath every four to five years or so. <clears throat> that would be the second thing we look for. Uh, third are some of the momentum fact indicators like monthly MACD. I found to be very useful on the Russell 3000. If you look back on the uh, the, the Russell 3000 or any major index and use them just the monthly MACD. You can see when the lines cross to the negative side uh, that, you know, that's been a good way to keep you out of the big drawdowns. It's not perfect, but there's not a ton of signals and it has given you a way to, to stay out of the way. Uh, and then lastly, what we do is use um, some proprietary technical scoring and ranking systems uh, called, um, and I call it absolute momentum scores. So we have four categories, uptrend, pull, pullback, snapback and downtrend. And what I do is look at the percentage of those by sector and by stock in our watch list. And if we, and what that allows me to do, like right now, I think the Russell 3000 is something like 75% of the Russell 3000s in a downtrend according to those categories or those definitions. And what that allows us to do is to say, okay, when we start to see an expansion in snapbacks and pullbacks, which are the bullish categories um, and pullback uh, and snapbacks uptrends, I'm sorry, 
when we look at snapbacks and uptrends and we start to see expansion in, in uh, those two categories, we start to feel like, okay, now things are starting to maybe set up to break out or are breaking out. Um, so bottom line, when we combine all those three, four things, it looks sort of like this. IBD says we're now in a confirmed uptrend. We just had a follow through day. That makes me start to look at the market breadth and if it start, if it's saying the market breadth is really low and the market breadth is starting to expand off of that low base, say from 10 to 20 to 30 to 40 percent, then that says there might be something happening here. And then finally, what I look for is those four categories on our watch list. And if I start seeing an increase in uptrends and snapbacks and breakouts, that kind of says to me, now there's something going on. What was lacking in the past few um, market rallies, which can be very dangerous, bear market rallies can be yeah. very dangerous, as you know, um, what was happening was that we were getting the follow through day, we were getting the confirmed uptrend, but we, weren't, we were not getting expansion in market breadth and we were not getting um, expansion in uptrends and snapbacks. So it was in my mind saying the odds are this market uh, rally is going to fail and I was speaking with Arusha and I correct me if I'm wrong. It's something like uh, in a market correction, it takes six times to uh, six follow through days on average before you get out of the correction. And we might be on number four. I'm yeah, not in, sure in a bear that. market, like six or seven times or, uh, in a bear market, you have six or seven failed follow through days. Uh, right. On was average. this number four uh, recently? Was this number four? This was or four. Three? This was the fourth number failed four. follow through day. Yes. So another piece of data, right? And, yes. and so it's like building a puzzle, right? There's all these right. little puzzles. And what you'll hear a lot of times on the market or in the media is that they'll just focus on one thing and they'll harp on one thing. Well, the, the VIX isn't doing this. We can't do anything until the VIX does this. Well, not necessarily, uh, because as you mentioned, Justin, that it's just an average. It's just trying to increase our odds. Nothing is perfect. No indicator is perfect. It's trying to put together everything into the, into the picture. Uh, using all the puzzle pieces uh, to see if the odds are increasing that we're slowly coming out of the, 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 the correction. And so far, we're not. And one more stat to throw at everyone, um, and then I promise I'll stop with the stats. But <laughs> the average bear market rally lasts 34 trading days and goes up 15% okay. on average. That's so good. think about that. And then, you know, but in 2000, 2002, there were a couple rallies of 40 oh, yeah. percent and, yeah. and it took two and a half years before it bottomed yeah so you know it's you just don't know when you that's why it's important to kind of look at all these different signals and make sure that you're getting the breakouts and and the setups and all these things coming together because you could just be buying in at the, the worst time and it's going to take you back down <clears throat> That's great. So when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about what Vern does because he has to be fully invested, uh, how he handles that, and also what looks like it could be setting up and what the next game is going to look like when we are in an uptrend. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Wondering how to navigate market volatility in this unprecedented time? Visit www.freestockcoaching.com and find out how machine learning technology can forecast stock market trends up to three days in advance with up to 87.4% proven accuracy. Vantage Point's artificial intelligence analyzes huge quantities of global data in seconds. Don't trade harder, trade smarter 
Go to www.freestockcoaching.com and see a free live demo today, limited time only. Trading involves financial risk and is not suitable for all investors. Past results do not guarantee future performance. Okay, everybody, welcome back to Investing with IBD podcast sponsored by Vantage Point. It's Justin Nielsen here along with Arusha Pires and our special guest this week, Vern Bice from Lord Abbott. He's a portfolio manager there. So, Vern, uh, I mean, this is a great conversation so far, and you, I think you've really laid out the optimism here. But um, Arusha, where would you like to go next? Your team at Lord Abbott and, and kind of the mandate is you have to be invested in the market pretty much fully invested all the time, right? Maybe go a little bit of cash. But so when you're seeing all these indicators start turning bearish, are you just trying to move more towards the benchmark? You're trying to get as defensive as possible and just try to lose as little as money as possible? How are you approaching that? And then you finally, once you see them get to kind of the extreme levels, now you get the fall through day. Now you get the breadth increasing. Now you're starting, are you now starting to move more towards some of the, the growthier more aggressive, higher beta type of stocks. Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, I'm, I'm fortunate to work for uh, Tom O'Halloran and, um, and at Lord Abbott, and we have five funds uh, spanning micro, small, mid, large, and we have a focused large fund. So we get to see a lot of the market, but we are high, you know, focused on high growth companies for the most part. That's our mandate. And we have to be fully invested, maybe 5% cash is really where the max that we can go. Uh, so all the all the folks out there that are just getting started in reading IBD, you know, that's a huge advantage that you can you, you can follow IBD and go to all cash. Uh, but for long only investors, um, we can't risk missing the turn because um, that would not be good for our clients. So, you know, what we try to do is preserve capital, so to speak. We try to become uh, we try to move towards the more stable growers, if that's what the market is, is rewarding. Because don't don't forget that momentum is kind of agnostic. We never know where the momentum is going to be. Defensive right. is even agnostic, you could say. Like sometimes defense could be the big large cap tech companies as opposed mm -hmm. to the staples companies, right? Yeah. So yeah. we got to one of the keys in this in, in, in investing is keeping an open mind and 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 thinking that the impossible is possible. Anything can happen. So I think that's where our process kind of shines and our team shines is because we're looking at operating momentum, which is using the fundamentals, and we're use, looking at price momentum, which uses technicals and combining those two. So let's say, uh, you know, if um, staples and utilities and REITs are the only area that's working, that's really hard for us to find those types of names. But if those types of names are working, um, usually what happens is that the more stable growth names will work or the, some people call them GARP or GARP names, reasonably priced stocks, that sort of thing. We could go in that direction and away from, say, the high, really high um, revenue growth names that are highly valued uh, or maybe not earning uh, money right now because they're in the growth phase. So we could go towards stable growth. We can move up in market cap. We can move towards our larger uh, index weights and, and that sort of thing to just kind of mirror the image. Or I like to say we, I like to give the index a hug in the corrections. You know? so, <laughs> yeah. So, so uh, that's, that's, that's about as good as we can, we can do. Um, and in the back of our mind, we're okay with that because we know that usually when you have uh, these big corrections, um, you can't really hold down innovation. 
I don't think you can't really hold down the types of products and services that are being demanded by the, 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 the world. And that's where IBD shines. And that's where I've learned what I've learned from IBD looking back in history. There's always innovation. And in fact, when there's a lot of problems in the world is when innovation really shines and uh, comes out to solve those problems. So we stay optimistic, we stay, but we still need to see, of course, those signs of operating and price momentum before we jump in. And that's where we are right now. And so now as a follow-up, Vern, where do you take a look in terms of, uh, you know, when you have to switch from that defensive to a little bit more offensive, I guess, um, how do you get yourself prepared for that turn, that eventual turn in the market that we are all expecting? Right now, we've, uh, we've, we've scoured the, the, the universe. We've narrowed that down. Um, we have them separately. Uh, we're monitoring them separately every day. And we do that through, our again, our four stages of technical uh, analysis. And um, so I took the hunting list. I took the hiding list. And I put each name into one of the four categories of uptrend, pullback, snapback, or downtrend. And now we just wait and watch every single day it's updated. Uh, and so right now that hunting list is full of red, meaning there's still a lot of downtrends out there, right? No big surprise. Uh, but when we do start to come out of that correction, what will happen is those downtrends will all of a sudden turn into first snapbacks. And that's when a snapback is just breaking the downtrend. And that says to us, this can potentially be an early uptrend right? So think about it in IBD, you talk about climbing the right side of the cup, you know, or the cup and handle pattern is a classic IBD pattern um, that's very useful. So what, what, what I kind of did with these four categories was think of that cup and how, uh, how stocks just look. And so a snapback will be just right as it's starting to climb the right side or build the right side of that cup. And that'll allow us to maybe take a starter position. So we might take a 50 or 75% position in that kind of name. And then we wait. And of course, all of this is uh, rooted in fundamental analysis. The operating momentum and the fundamental analysis starts. That's where it all starts for us. And so we've already, but we've already done that work by putting them on the watch list and then by putting them on the hiding or hunting list. So let's say And so that, Vern, Vern uh, let me just quickly jump in here with the, with the hunting list. So the hunting lists are kind of the those fundamentally, those stocks that have some real interesting fundamentals, maybe even larger kind of story that are potential game changers, is, is that kind of like the, the next potential great stocks over the next 10 years? That's right. That's right. Sometimes we call them, you know, in the market correction, we end up calling them uh, fallen angels. Oh, uh, yes. A lot of these have, you know, some of these have gone from large cap companies in 2020 to micro cap companies today. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah that's, incredible. that's incredible. But think of the opportunity, you know. Right. But I always remember that stat that only one out of eight of the former market leaders make it to an all-time high again. And the average right. market leader corrects about 70, 72%, I think yep. is the stat. Yep. And so I, I promised I wouldn't throw out another stat and look what I just did. <laughs> it's a very relevant stat. <laughs> I just can't help it. Uh, so, so well, and just to correct you on the stat about the one out of eight, it's it's not that they don't make a new high again. It's it's that they tend not to lead a future market cycle. Sometimes oh. they can make new highs, um, but it's it's that they don't lead. Uh, yeah. So that's the way. Good. Thank you. Thank you for that, mm -hmm. Justin. And so if you think about that, you can't just 
throw on all the old leaders if right. you're, because you, so you have to just kind of scour the universe and look for names that are really special that meet the criteria that we look for we're looking for first of all disruptors uh superior businesses um, innovators and then we look for uh secondly we look for uh, companies that have positive operating momentum or fundamentals and then we want to see that that's being recognized through price momentum which we use technicals so they have to have those three attributes for us uh the potential for those three attributes uh to get on the list so it's just you know but you have to be patient it doesn't it doesn't always occur as fast as you would like for them to be you know they might be you can't believe sometimes when something falls from a large to a mid-cap company but then it falls to a small cap company and then it goes to a micro cap company so we need to then look at our our process once again and say are they becoming are they breaking the downtrend uh in, a, in an environment that is going to reward risk and when that occurs then we can start taking risk slowly and then once the market improves we start adding to the position and it's a very dynamic and adaptive thing right we're not sitting around and waiting uh, and we're being very proactive. And I think that's important to, to put into your process. However you build your process, there's many ways to win in the market. Um, so I, I don't want to discourage anyone from doing things their own way. In fact, that's the best way to do it is to go out there and learn and, and experiment. But the, the one thing that is important is to have a process that's adaptive that you can react to quickly, especially yeah. when you're cutting losers, you know? Uh, so that's, that's where we are today. We're, we have our hiding list. We have our hunting list. Um, we're watching both like Hawks, all of us, all of the team. And we're having discussions every week. We have experts on this team where I'm just so blessed, you know, to work with a group uh, that we put together um, experts, long term experts in their industries and sectors. And so we're constantly having discussions. It's a lot of fun, you know, trying to figure out what's the next big winner. You know, that's the, that's the game we're in is trying to find the big yep. winners of tomorrow. And that hunting list allows you to have those potentials right in front of you. Now, maybe you could address one of the issues that uh, has been going on this year, certainly, is the whole move in commodities. Um, you know, uh, sometimes people would look at that as more of a defensive play. But I mean, commodities can be very volatile. And certainly with a lot of the I guess the supply side, you know, really jacking up the prices on some of these commodities, oil and gas and such. Uh, you've you've gotten these phenomenal moves when the market has been, as you mentioned, in a bear market. So uh, how how do you fit those into your model exactly? I mean, is it just purely a momentum play that you're seeing from the technicals or is there that fundamental side that you're looking at as well? Yeah, yeah, it's it's you know it's kind of what was old is new again, <laughs> so to speak, right? And uh, some of these uh, areas, and, and it always also brings the adage of there's a bull market somewhere all the time. And um, you know, I was just looking at we put we put these four stages, we measure the four stages across sectors. Um, uh, so for the Russell 3000, 75 percent of the Russell 3000 is in a downtrend. Mm -hmm. uh, only 9% of the Russell 3000 is in an uptrend right now, according to my, our definitions. Wow. Only 9%. But guess how many uptrends are in the energy sector? <laughs> 76. 76%. Yep. Five and, yep. and so this isn't traditionally, this is, a, this is more for the value investor. You know, this is not really, we could, 
it's harder to justify some of these areas of the market because as you mentioned, everything we look, we look at everything through the lens of fundamentals, operating momentum, innovation, uh, high growth, or at least high relative growth um, and price momentum. So we're, we're looking at these companies and we're thinking, you know, what's going on here? Uh, you know, and at first you might just dismiss it. You might dismiss energy completely. Um, and then the, 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 the unfortunate invasion of the Ukraine occurred and that kind of changed supply and di demand dynamics. And then we were starting to think about all the problems related around the world uh, to energy uh, dependency and that sort of thing. And like I said, the problems in the world it makes it, you know, innovation shine. So what if energy transforms itself? What if it becomes the new innovators of the next five years? And so we have to stay open-minded to that. It might be that on a relative basis, energy becomes the new um, uh, high operating and price momentum stocks for a while. And so, you know, that's, that's what we, we have a lot of those discussions as a team. And that's going back to that other important thing that you have to have in the market is an open mind and flexibility. Uh, so you never know where the winners are going to come from. You never know what industries are going to transform themselves. You never know what stocks are going to come back from what appears dead. I mean, think of Apple. No one thought Apple was going to go anywhere. And that was one of the biggest stocks of the past few decades. But it was it was on its back. It was failing. So, you know, that's a part of uh, that's a part of looking into the fundamentals and the technicals, reading into it, having the experts on the team uh, think about it, think through things, having our team meetings, having a discussion and coming up with a decision. Now, some areas maybe it's it's harder to justify you know we mm -hmm. you know it's, it, it, we just have to be very careful because our mandate is growth um and we want to stay true to that it's our responsibility to our clients to do so that's what they pay us to do so mm -hmm. we'll still stick to our knitting of growth investing but it, you know the market there's two components there's an absolute component and a relative component and so we all we look at absolute trends but we look at relative trends Yep. And if we're finding relative momentum and fundamentals and technicals in the energy space going forward to, for the next three years, as compared to, say, our traditional areas of consumer and tech and healthcare, then we got to consider investing in that area. That's the part of the flexibility that you have to have. Yeah. And so talking about, you know, having an open mind, you know, when, when you're talking about kind of just that energy taking the leadership in the market really over the last year and a half or so talk talk a little bit about you know kind, kind of the mindset or kind of the reaction you guys had on vaccine day uh where all of a sudden it seems like that was almost an inflection point where all of yeah. these high growth tech stocks that's where it was almost the start of the beginning of the end for those stocks at least for a little while and energy stocks started to look attractive uh, you know, what was kind of the, the, the thought process at that point? How quick were you guys to kind of shift? Because uh, it was hard, at least for me personally, to kind of shift <laughs> away from you're so used to all tech and kind of our traditional kind of O'Neill kind of lens to, hey, wait, you know what? There's this whole other sector doing pretty well. Yeah, I mean, going into the vaccine day, I think the world was uh, really bifurcated into work from home stocks and reopening right. stocks, mm -hmm. right? And you started seeing some weakness in the work from home stocks. Uh, some of those names that we all know um, have now wiped out their entire gain post, you know, uh, 
COVID gains. And so when the vaccine hit, we, we are, we're already seeing some weakness in some of the work from home stocks. We had already started selling some of them because they were breaking our, um, our process. Yeah. Their fundamentals were starting to, the momentum of the fundamentals were starting to weaken. Their price momentum was starting to weaken. They're going into pullbacks. So we were trimming or selling them. And then when vaccine day, you see massive gap down to a lot of these names. And we just pulled, we just took them out, um, a, a big portion of them out. And we, at that time, moved a little bit more towards the reopening plays. I mean, I was looking at financials, for instance, and, um, and, and even utilities. Financials and utilities for mo a lot of the past year have been kind of leadership off and on, right? And this, you know, over the past couple of weeks, for, let's just take utilities, for example. Utilities were one of the leadership areas of the market. Yeah, yeah. Um, and XLU, I think, is one of the ETFs. But all of a sudden, um, there's 71 utility names in the Russell 3000. All of a sudden, 59% of those utility names are in a pullback, mm -hmm. right, right? Now, think if we as growth investors would just fly into utilities uh, and now at the worst time, and then they went into a pullback. Well, we couldn't do that because there wasn't enough fundamental operating momentum to justify buying them. So that's where it's tricky for us as growth investors that use both fundamentals and technicals. We have to keep the balance. You know, mm -hmm. you can't use one or the other. You can use one or the other if you're focused only on fundamentals or you're focused on technicals only, and that's your, what you do. You can make money doing that. But we believe the combination of the two is really powerful for examples like this. If I were only, if I were left to my, my own, and I do technical analysis, 100% of my time is technical analysis for the team. If I were to just say, let's buy what's working without any knowledge of the fundamentals and the expertise of all of our analysts and experts with deep experience, um, I could get into a lot of trouble, you know? Yeah. So, <laughs> right. so they save me all the time and uh, way more than I save them. So I, I, I'm really blessed to work with uh, a good group of people that will say, you know, I know the price is good, but the, the, the fundamentals are just not sustainable. So I don't mm. I don't know that we should invest in this. It's working right now, but six months down the road, this could really hurt us. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of where we were for, with energy at first. And and we're kind of still in that area with energy now. We're still kind of skeptical just because it's a little bit outside of the traditional growth area. That makes mm -hmm. sense. Well, and sometimes, you know, you have to have your rules in place and recognize that no system is going to catch everything, you know, no. nor is it going to prevent you from taking, you know, being wrong. You know, there's, there's no system that's 100%. And so you have to just find that right blend, I think. And one of the things that you were telling us before in the show, and you alluded to it a little bit uh, earlier, is that whole idea, because you've got um, a lot of the different market caps, you know, you've, you've got you know, you're, you're kind of covering all of them. So you can see some of these kind of go from one list to the next up your really up your cool. chain and so be very familiar with them. Uh, could you talk a little bit about that advantage of of now that you've you know, now that you're covering more different asset, um, I guess, market capitalizations? Yeah, it's great. I mean, like I said, we're blessed at Lord Abbott uh, to be able to have all those funds that span the market caps that we we do from micro to large and mega and so what's interesting there is that you know we've seen um 
we see companies grow up. They're almost like our children. Oh, <laughs> <You know? laughs> well, remember when you were a little micro. <laughs> exactly, exactly. You know, we, uh, we measure their height on the yeah. door frame and that sort of thing with the ruler and the pencil. And so I think it's, it's incredible to see some of these stocks. And 2020 uh, really accelerated that to an extreme yeah. like yeah. I've never seen in my life. Like things went from micro to large in like uh in six months it was crazy so but in normal markets it takes time you know to to grow up so to speak so to see a little baby micro name and know what kind of uh you know like the characteristics that it takes for the for them to potentially make it to a large cap we've seen it a bunch of times you know and you know you, so you you understand the characteristics and you understand that it's pretty rare to see that happen still, with, even if they have all those characteristics. But once they do, my God, that's one of the greatest feelings because you've known them for so long. You've seen them go from micro to large, small to mid to large. You've, uh, are, you've met their management team. You've got deep relationships with their management team and you've built that trust. You've got deep relationships with the analysts that cover those names and built that trust. And so what that allows us to do, uh, and since we're blessed to have all those funds, is when something goes into a mid-cap, uh, into mid-cap land, say, uh, or large, maybe the, our competitors might have not followed it as closely as, as we have because we've owned it already and we've just moved it up the market cap or moved it up our funds. So I think it allows us to get, uh, to get much more aggressive, not you know, too aggressive, but it allows us to own the, the stock in bigger size. We already know them. We already know the management team. We know what they're capable of. Uh, and so I think that gives us an edge, whereas maybe our large cap competitor that only has a large cap fund, they have to, sit, they have to get to know the company. Right. And we've already done that. And that's a lot of, that's a big advantage, I think, for us. To kind of stick with the analogy of, uh, you know, the, the, the ruler on the doorframe, uh, did you, get the sense that some of these uh, companies were growing up a little bit too fast. Uh, maybe they were, you know, trying to, trying to skip ahead. They were, you know, eight year olds in high school and maybe not ready to drive yet. Little Doogie Hauser. <laughs> yeah. Little Doogie Hauser's right. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I mean, you, it's funny because you, you know, it's in hindsight, you, everyone's like, Oh, I knew it was a bubble. And, mm -hmm. and Rush and I spoke about this, you know, and we, we felt like there was similarities of 2000, uh, maybe not as extreme, but you know, you had meme, you had Reddit, you had Robinhood, and back in our days, you know, now we're sounding like <laughs> old people, like the older people in the, the Muppets in the top of the <laughs> But back in our day, we had, yeah, exactly. You know, we had E-Trade, and uh, mm -hmm. you know, we had the internet before it was time, and Pets.com, and all yep. these things. So there's a lot of analogies there and we we kind of saw signs that we we're in some sort of bubble and things were growing up a little bit too fast so to speak but man you got to just ride your winners and uh and let it and just ride them as long as you can knowing that it's going to be painful when they break but if you ride your winners as long as possible and they go up 100 percent, and you sell them when they're you know they top out and go down 20, you still made 80, right? So mm -hmm. you're, that's the game. It's very, very hard to do. Uh, it's very hard to know how long the bubble's gonna last. It's very that's hard true. to know how long the run's gonna last. So that's why you have to come back and have some sort of system 
that alerts you to changes in the trend. And that's what these four categories do for us. So we had all these uptrends and they were just flying and we were like, oh my God, this is happening so fast, but let's just hold on for the ride. You know, like a bucking bronco, you just, right. <laughs> you just like in the road here, just hold on. And then one day you'll come in and you'll see either uh, like there's usually some kind of fundamental or announcement of macro catalyst, like the vaccine we talked about, and you'll see a bunch of them gap down all together. That's usually a sign that, hey, you need to you need to at least cut things in half or take some profits now. And then if that uh, further, furtherly, if they further uh, deteriorate into, say, from an uptrend to a pullback, uh, then that's when we start selling them out to zero because we we just want to try to avoid holding too many names that go into a downtrend in this type of market that's impossible when 75 percent of the market's in a downtrend but normally you you can get out of the way but you're gonna you know you're, it's not gonna feel good you're gonna you're gonna sell things that are down 20 percent from the peak yeah. but we're, like i said we're hoping they went up 100 or so percent before that peak you know <clears throat> So it's tricky to balance like riding your winners and cutting your losers quickly, you know. Absolutely. Well, when we come back, we'll take a look at some of the things that uh, some of the sectors maybe that look like they may be setting up um, where you're seeing some of that strength in your models. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Do you feel like you're always late to the best trades? You don't have to kick yourself for those missed opportunities any longer. Today is your day. Vantage Point's artificial intelligence has helped traders of all experience levels with its predictive analysis forecasting. Visit www.freestockcoaching.com and find out how their AI automatically recognizes global market patterns well ahead of the news to help you pick the best trade. Go to www.freestockcoaching.com to join a free live training session today. Vantage Point's patented artificial intelligence can give you a massive edge. Don't hesitate. Save your seat now. Trading involves financial risk and is not suitable for all investors. Past results do not guarantee future performance. And welcome back to Investing with IBD podcast sponsored by Vantage Point. It's Justin Nielsen here along with Arusha Pires from O'Neill Global Advisors and Vern Bice from Lord Abbott. He's a portfolio manager there. So we're welcoming him back to the show and some great information in terms of the stats and uh, a lot of knowledge in terms of how he uses CanSlim for his business. Um, but let's go ahead and get into maybe some of the stocks that you're looking at that um, could be some of these fallen angels or, you know, they, they've been out of favor and it's maybe time for them to snap back. Uh, what, what are some of the things that you're looking at or some of the sectors that you're looking at, Vern? Yeah, Justin, uh, I think what we've noticed, one area that we've noticed uh, that has done pretty well and held up pretty well has been large cap pharma. And mm -hmm. that took me to, um, that got me to thinking that maybe we should keep an eye on biotech because sometimes what you could look at maybe the XBI ETF. Because mm -hmm. sometimes what happens in sectors is that after a correction, uh, folks like go to the larger names first because they're deemed to be a little bit more stable and safer. Um, and so we started noticing that large cap pharma names were um, working, um, had good operating momentum and price momentum. And then we thought, okay, let's take a look at XBI and see where we are. Because right now there's just not a lot um, that looks like it's bottoming. So we have to kind of think outside the box a bit. So with XBI, um, what I noticed here was that there are some nice support levels around this $65 uh, range. And you can mm -hmm. see that 
um, in 2018 that it bottomed around 64. Uh, in 2020, it bottomed around 63. And now we're here at 66, 65, 65, 66. And so we're asking ourselves, um, is this enough support uh, for this area? Um, will it break or will it hold? And, you know, that's piqued our interest a bit. So we'll go back to our watch list, our hunting list, so and, and look at the names that are on that hunting list and watch for signs of bottoming on the individual level uh, mm -hmm. of the stocks that are in this index. And that's one of the ways that we're approaching the market right now. Um, we don't know where it's headed, uh, we'll, but we're going to stay open-minded about it and look for signs. And, and that's kind of across other areas as well, whether, you know, other areas of growth. Um, so that's how we're approaching things right now. We're, we're mostly staying defensive for the time being or, and defensive for us, meaning those stable names. Uh, mm -hmm. But we're still looking um, at all areas of the market for any signs of improvement. So with um, so when, when you're going through the the Russell three thousand, you've narrowed it down to a thousand stocks, and then you're you're placing them into your four categories. Do you do the same thing maybe with the ETFs too, to try to get kind of the the bird's eye view? You're you're looking at bottoms up from the those thousand stocks. Are you kind of looking at the bird's eye view, putting it in those four categories to maybe give you a little bit more insight? Yeah, absolutely. We that's a good way to do it because then you can drill down and. You know, sometimes the problem with uh, the ETFs is that you, you have to make sure what the individual components are. Some of these ETFs, yeah. it's like one stock makes up 70% of the ETFs. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so you have to be careful there. But, um, you know, we're looking at, uh, let's say, solar, TAN, T-A-N. Mm -hmm. uh, we were looking at that and, and it kind of popped up on some screens. See the, you know, nice sideways pattern, you know. Yeah. By the way, sideways in this market is the new up. Exactly. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, you know, we're keeping an eye on the name like that. It's got a relative strength of 63 and um, according to IBD. And uh, and so what are the components there? You can then drill down into the individual holdings of the of uh, the ETF. And I believe e Wanda and Panaray makes that pretty easy to do where you can click on the constituents of the ETF and it'll show you the holdings. And then you can go through individually. I spend a lot of my time on uh, Wanda and, okay. uh, you know, which is Market Smith, which is Panaray, but kind of similar in a sense um, for the folks out there listening. It's like but, the institutional version of Market Smith. Right? Yes, yes. And it makes it very, uh, it's very cool to be able to, to have watch lists and put them into this uh, program because I can sit there and space through or page down through hundreds of hundreds of charts. So yeah, Rusha, like we can, what ETFs are working? We can do it bottoms up, we can do it top down. Yep. What, if we're doing it top down, what ETFs are working today? What are the constituents of it? Now, let me look at the charts. Are there signs of that cup and handle? Are there signs of the downtrend being broken and then moving into a snapback? Or um, are things recovering from a pullback and going back into an uptrend? And that helps speed up the process. So it's, it's just a constantly looking at as many different areas of the market that you can uh, from different angles and, and such, which makes this a, a fun way to hunt, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. so, <laughs> mm -hmm. so you mentioned the, the biotechs, but what about kind of almost like a, a little bit of a broader look and healthcare in general? So maybe we could look at XLV, which is the sector spider, uh, you know, fund. And uh, what, what, what are your thoughts on this? Because I mean, in terms of, you know, you look at that weekly chart and, you know, here it just, 
it just feels like it hasn't really come off that much, even though this last week has been, or last few weeks have been a little bit rough. Um, overall, it feels like it hasn't uh, lost too much ground compared to a lot of other things out there. Yeah, that's right. And I think it brings up a good point, um, again, on looking at things on an absolute basis and a relative basis. And when I say absolute, I'm just talking about trends. So you can see how the price of the, uh, of the XLV has kind of broken trend in the sense that it's broken the, the moving averages that you have up there and the trend line. And uh, so, but when you, you've highlighted the relative strength there, when you look at the relative strength, the trend is positive. And so that shows you the type of market that we're in. When I look at this chart, normally I would look at this chart and say, sell it, you know, short it. Right. <laughs> when, you know, right. On a, just looking at the absolute trend because it's breaking trend. But then you have to look at the relative strength line and you're saying, well, maybe you don't short it. Maybe this is the last to fall. Um, and then you have to ask yourself what makes up the XLV. Maybe it's just one component of the healthcare ETF that's weak. Uh, while other areas of the healthcare ETF are very strong. So like the big pharmas of the ETF might be very strong. So that's where, you know, you always have to kind of look at the individual components yeah. from a bottoms up perspective. Uh, but this gives you a quick way to drill down and say, where are the areas of strength on an absolute or relative basis? And then what is leading that strength or what is leading that weakness? Avoid the weakness maybe go into the strength. So I think this is a good way to look at it. Um, but it's, you know, it's kind of discouraging seeing that type of uh, stock and thinking, wow, that's, that's a really good chart. Yeah, <laughs> you <know>? exactly. <laughs> you know, that just explains what kind of market we're in. right now. Exactly. Yeah. Maybe we could wrap this segment up, Vern, by taking a look at growth in general. I mean, you're, you're a growth investor. Growth tends to be where our focus is normally, but growth has obviously been out of favor. You can just look at FFTY, which is the innovator IBD50 fund. And while it does rotate and hasn't been holding things like Shopify and some of these things that are down 70%, it still has shown you know, quite a bit of struggle, uh, especially since that, you know, that February 2021 top that you were talking about. So do you think this is enough of a correction in growth or the fact that we're still looking at potential recession, high interest rate environment, um, or I guess I should just say rate hikes, um, is that something that might make it so that growth still needs uh, needs some time? Yeah, it's, uh, it's an interesting proxy, I believe, for sort of what we do with, um, you know, looking at operating and price momentum and the can slim method of IBD, which you know, we're, we're pretty much aligned with, um, but you, I mean, 50 might have a little bit more flexibility because you, you can go into the names like energy and, and things. Yeah, right. um, so it's something that I've monitored and, you know, I, I was looking at um, actually just today, I was looking at the, from February around the peak of February 21 uh, until a couple of days ago, FFTY, although it's down maybe 40%, something like that from the peak, um, it's much better than the high growth areas, uh, some of the proxies out there for high growth that are down 75% plus, you know. Right. So I think that speaks to the ability of IBD to be flexible and to rotate where there's operating and price momentum. And we try to follow suit as we've been discussing on this call. So as I look at just the chart, um, you know, it doesn't look great, as you said, but on the weekly chart, you saw, again, it's kind of like the XBI where you saw uh, some lows established in 2018, around 25, uh, some lows around 2020 at 24, 
we're at 29, you know, mm -hmm. so it's still quite a bit from that, that support level, <clears throat> but you know, it's getting closer. It's, it's going back to that analogy. Maybe we're like seventh inning here. Uh, if we can, if maybe we need one more sell off and that would do things like spike the VIX, spike the put call again, and, and put in some of those indicators that have up until now been stubbornly not going higher and, and signaling the, the washout. Uh, but, you know, down 40% is a, a pretty big number. Yeah. Um, you know, back to the earlier stats, that was, you know, 40% was the average decline in a recession for the major indexes over 19 months, and we're down 40%. So, again, I, I mean, you never know how low things can go, uh, but it feels like, you know, we're getting at least further along in the innings or the game, hopefully. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. I mean, when I look at this chart, it, all, all it's saying to me, as long as you manage your risk, right, and you you have some exit strategies, this is setting up the this is just set, set up an environment for a great bull market down the line. It, who knows how long it's going to last? But yeah, and and we've spoken about this before, Vern, and and we always talk about this, Justin. But you know, uh, once you learn how to manage your risk, you learn to love corrections because they really right. just set up those next great opportunities. Very well said. I totally agree, Arusha. Yeah, and I think um, you know all the statistics that you told us at the beginning uh, kind of laid out the case for that optimism. Any uh, any last statistic you want to wow us with, Vern? Uh, I think <laughs> I put you on the spot. I think I you all enough, so let's okay, see. I'll leave it at that, Justin. <laughs> okay. Well, we really appreciate you coming back on the show, Vern. It was great, uh, great talking to you, getting your insights, and uh, again, seeing how you slice and dice this market. Uh, and I'm sure we'll be having you on again. So thanks, thanks a lot for being here. It's my pleasure, and thanks, Justin and Arusha, for having me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. And uh, next week on the show, we are going to be wel welcoming Richard Moglin. He is from Trader Lion. He's done a lot of interviews with some of the greatest traders out there, so we're going to get some of the insights that he's learned uh, from those interviews and from his own trading. So hope you join us for that. Thanks a lot for watching us this week. We'll see you next time. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast if you haven't already. We'd really appreciate it. You can also send us your questions and comments to investingpodcast at investors.com. We would love to hear from you and may use your comments on an upcoming episode. This podcast is for informational and educational purposes only, and nothing should be construed as a recommendation to buy, hold, or sell any securities. Make sure to consider consulting with your financial advisor before making any investment decisions.